Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this is Mark Striegel. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. On today's episode, we have the one, the only Jeff Tate, formerly of Queensryche, currently of Operation Mindcrime. And today's interview was conducted by the co-host of today's episode, Emily, my wife. Hey, how are you? Oh, this is my microphone, huh? <laughs> Hi. Hi. Yes, that would be your microphone, definitely. And you not only got this interview done, which I had no doubt you would be able to do because you know your your rock and you know your metal, but I was more worried about you technically getting everything hooked up and that it would actually record and that we'd actually be able to capture the interview you were going to do. That was like that I was what I was actually stressing out. Over. I know you were. I know you were sitting there biting your nails. But I do have. I have a college degree. I'm a pretty smart girl. I figured it out. Had to do a few different programs and Skype and <laughs> <laughs> and like some recorder thing. But it was good. But I was I was extremely distracted. That my I was talking into a microphone with a headphone so I could hear myself. But there was like major reverb on, right. on my mic. Yeah, and I was just. I, but I kept on telling myself, well, Jeff can't hear it like that. No, he so. couldn't hear that. And that actually is not on the, the recorded portion of the interview, which I, which I went through. So no worries on that. And, and it's, it, you know, I, I work, uh, I leave the house to go to work. And a lot of these interviews take place during the day. And I, I must admit that we've, through the years, lost a lot of great interviews simply because people are like, can you record an interview with such and such at 2 p.m. on a Tuesday, and I, I can't do that usually. Sometimes I'm, I work from home and I'm able to take a break to do that. But Emily works full-time, but we're lucky because she works from home, and that allowed us to get this Jeff Tate interview, which we wouldn't have gotten if it weren't for for Emily. So thank you, number one, for, for doing that and bringing Jeff Tate back to Talking Metal. But uh, also, uh, I think we successfully did this and i think in the future you should do some more 
Yeah, I think I'll get more comfortable as we go along. And I think I was a little bit stiff in the beginning, but luckily he was an amazing... I just enjoy talking to him. So he made it very easy on me because he was a, a good interview. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about the stiff thing. I think I think he did a great job, especially considering we were both probably a little nervous about the technical end of things. And it's it, I, I find the over-the-phone interviews more difficult than the in-person ones because you can look into somebody's eye. There's a, a chemistry. There's a vibe there in, in the room. Um, sometimes the, the over-the-phone interviews can be a little cold, which was not the case with this interview. Over the phone, everything is tough. Text is tough. Teleconferences with work is tough. So yeah, I mean, one-on-one is the best way to do it. But again, he was really awesome and fun to talk to. And he's got a new record out. We're going to tell you all about that. Before we do, let's get into some classic Queensryche right now. This is, there's so many great songs on the Operation Mindcrime record, but I do think this is probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite. This is The Needle Lies off of Operation Mind Crime going way back to 1988. Let's check it out. Jeff Tate with Queensryche and a classic Queensryche right there. And, you know, that was a concept record, Operation Mind Crime. And, and I'm psyched because Jeff is doing a concept record again, actually three records to, to be precise. The latest is the second album of the trilogy. Again, a, a concept trilogy, if you will. It's called Resurrection. It is coming out in just uh, just a couple weeks, September 23rd. It might even be out if you're listening to this podcast uh, late. But um, you know, definitely check it out. Resurrection. I had a 
opportunity to hear most of the record, and it's just fantastic, great stuff, and it brings him back to more of you know the concept type stuff that Queensryche is known for, and and proggy sounds at times. Uh, Jeff in great voice on this record. Again, Resurrection is the record. And Emily has a, a great conversation about some of the saxophone parts on the record that with Jeff. That was my Jeff. favorite part of the, excuse me, that was my favorite part of the interview because, uh, I don't know, you'll see, you'll see why, but he's just a blast. I, w- I want to do like a whole other interview just about saxophones with him, for real. I think we could. Right on. Well, we're going we're gonna to hear the interview right now. And again, the, the album is Resurrection, and it's the second part of the musical trilogy from Jeff Tate, and uh, just a great listen. So do yourself a favor and check out Resurrection. Again, it's Jeff Tate's Operation Mind Crime. I, I, a little unclear if Operation Mind Crime is a project or a band or, or what, what the deal is with that. Um, well, I think even in the interview, he had a hard time coming up with what do I call this a right. project or, you know, um, so I don't think it's, it's clear to him either exactly what, do we have to call it anything? Right on. Let's check it out. This is a track off the new Resurrection record by Jeff Tate's Operation Mind Crime, Left for Dead. And we're going to hear just a little sound sample of this, and then we'll get into Emily Striegel's interview with Jeff Tate on Talking Metal. And again, this song, Left for Dead, off Resurrection, is that's the, the album title but you can and the album again doesn't come out until september 23rd but you can currently go buy this on itunes the single is out for this cool let's check it out left for dead followed by emily striegel's interview with jeff tate
Greetings, Talking Metal listeners. This is Emily Striegel coming at you, and boy, do we have a treat for you today. I'm on the phone right now with iconic metal vocalist Jeff Tate. How are you today, Jeff? I'm doing great, Emily. Nice talking with you. I love that word, iconic. I keep hearing that in uh, so many different applications these days. Yeah, but you know, it's a word that I reserve for very few, so I don't like to uh, overuse that word, but definitely we're really excited to have you on the podcast today. Well, I feel very special. That's, just, that's very nice. Thank you. Good. So I'm hoping we can chat about your upcoming release coming out on September okay. 23rd called Resurrection, which is the second part of a kind of musical trilogy. Um, I've had a chance to listen to a few of the songs. It sounds fantastic. Tell us a bit about the concept of this being a trilogy. Well, I've, I've wanted to do a trilogy project for quite a while. Um, I wanted to do a, a large-scale concept piece. And a trilogy seems like a real logical choice because it's you know represents three acts, you know, which is pretty common in screenwriting and uh, storytelling. And um, so I thought that uh, it would really be something special, All, although I didn't have a subject matter for a long time. And so uh, I just kind of kept the, the idea of a trilogy in the back of my mind and um, until I came up with the subject, and uh, which I did on a, a rather unusual circumstances. I was hiking through Spain at the time. Um, my wife and I were, were on the Camino de Santiago Pilgrim Trail across wow. northern Spain, which is a 500-mile trek. And, um, you know, you have a lot of time to think and contemplate, and uh, that's kind of what I was doing. And all of a sudden, boom, I had this idea and started writing it down, and that led to an outline, which led to a kind of a preliminary script. And then when I got home, I um, started, you know, composing music for the uh, for the, the whole the whole thing. And uh, I don't know quite what to call it, a project, uh, uh, you know, the thing. So The <laughs> thing! I think that's what we should call it, the (laughs) thing. No, yeah, I mean, it sounds like an amazing project. So I know the first album was called The Key, and that came out maybe a year ago or so. So Uh I'm curious, did did you write and record all three parts at the same time, just kind of continuing on what you were just talking about before? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was all kind of a big uh, brainstorm, you know, creative role, roller coaster, if you will. And um, so wrote the story and then started, you know, composing music and uh, recording all three albums at the same time. And then uh, spent a year in between each album, just kind of tightening it up and fixing certain things. And and then, you know, mixing it, of course, and mastering, which takes a, a long time and quite a process. So, are yeah, you... everything was kind of put together around the same period of time. Okay. So are you tempted, just out of curiosity, are you tempted then to go back and change things? Like, do you start over-listening and over, you know, it would, it would seem to me if you have an entire year between each one, you're going to be, start picking things apart and listening, or do you just kind of let go of it when you're done and you just wait waited to release this one, for example? Well, I, I do kind of, uh, after the recording, you kind of get everything in shape, right? And then you just kind of walk away from it for a while, and then... Uh, you come back and you mix it at that point, and that way you're you're kind of hearing it fresh, you know. So it, it helps when when it's mixing time because mixing is a very tedious, detailed sort of endeavor. You know, we have to go in and get just the right balances on all the instruments and put them in 
it's just kind of an audio perspective and you put your special effects in and that kind of thing. So it's, it's a lot of detail work that's, I think, best done when your ears are fresh and you're not worn down from, you know, recording, and which is tedious as well, but in a different way. That makes that it's, makes complete sense, yeah. Yeah, so it's nice to walk away from the project, get away from it, and then you come back and you go, oh, wow, that's really cool. That's better than I remembered it being, you know? <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. That must be a great feeling. So um, earlier we heard the song... Left for Dead. Can you tell me a, a little bit about the meaning of this song? I know you've you've never really shied away lyrically from you know politically and socially relevant topics. So tell me about the meaning of this song, Left for Dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's definitely doesn't have anything to do with uh, you know being a conservative or a liberal, if that's what you're getting at. But <laughs> <laughs> me, no. No, I was just, you know, no. curious about the meaning of the song. Some of the lyrics left me. Oh, okay. You know. Well, it's, uh, you know, this is um, the second act of a uh, you know, three-act play, basically. And um, the, the lead character, who we call H, is uh, left for dead. You know, he, his uh, partners, you know, hijack him and uh, have him, they try to have him killed. Uh, but he is not dead, and uh, he's left for dead, buried in a box in the desert. And um, they, uh, he kind of claws his way out of the ground and uh, begins to try to put his life back together. And uh, that's kind of what that song is representative of. So that's amazing to me. So this is really more than, you know, some kind of concept album. This is an actual storyline that you... Like, how deep into this outline did you go when you said you came up with this idea... It sounds like you really wrote a lot of of uh, storyline for this character. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, when you, when you develop characters, you, you got to give them, you know, a personality and a background and you know, reason, you know, to for them being there, you know. And um, and this guy's kind of interesting, you know. The, he he developed this technology that uh, he and his partners turned into a, a, a computer program that allows people to see reality in a new, completely different way. And what I mean by that is, you know, our reality that we know individually is not all the same. You know, we learn by example. We learn by definition. As children, for example, like we teach our kids, you know, this is a cat, this is a dog, a table, a chair, the earth, a leaf, you know. All those definitions form our reality. And at the the more we grow and the more we learn, our reality is expanded, but it's still dictated by other people explaining what things are. So uh, you could really say that our reality is manufactured. And so what this program does is it kind of uh, allows people to see a new reality. And thus, we see that uh, it could be very lucrative for the people who develop this, Right. And the partners that are involved with uh, the development of this see that as well, and it becomes a split in the group where you know some want to do great things with this program and give it to the world for free because they think it's going to help you know further uh, human beings and their development and uh, will become a better you know world for it. And others want to exploit it for financial purposes. So you can see where you know when you start talking about billions of dollars. In value, people do extreme things, and that's exactly what has happened to our lead character page. 
seems like a, a very realistic kind of storyline that we can apply to real life. As well. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty realistic. You know, human nature is kind of um, easily predictable when it comes to uh, greed and, and uh, you know, money, you know. This sounds extremely interesting. I'm really looking forward to hearing the second part of this trilogy. Um, I know one of the songs on the album, I got another one I got to hear is called Smear, A Smear Campaign. Mm-hmm. And I know you play saxophone, right? Did you play on this track? Uh-huh, yeah. You did. And how long have you played saxophone? Is that something you still enjoy doing, or how often do you get to do that? Um, no, they have to whip me and beat me to get me to play it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love saxophone. It's, it's, uh, you know, they say that the saxophone is the, uh, the closest instrument uh, to the human voice yet invented. And I, I believe that's very true. It's so similar to singing. It is. Uh, no, I, I so. agree. I played saxophone for like one year in band, but I totally, oh, yeah. I totally know what you're talking about. Yeah. Gosh, I, I suddenly had this vision of seeing you with the uh, saxophone case, you know, carrying it to school, you know, <laughs> standing at the bus stop or something like that. <laughs> People, the ridicule involved. Uh, oh my gosh! Oh, here's in the worst. The worst part is. My dad was a saxophonist as well, and he made me play his saxophone. Oh, no. <laughs> so all the other kids uh, in, in band had these shiny new saxophones, and here I had this, like, old saxophone from, like, yeah, it was pretty bad. Up, scratch, smelling of your dad's and dick. It was oh nasty. <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's saxophone talk. We'll talk saxophones. Uh, I have a saxophone podcast, too. No, I'm oh, just kidding. Do? I don't. I'm joking. <laughs> I've, got, I've got some wonderful saxophone stories, actually, from my, my travels around the world with my saxophone. <laughs> I would love to hear those next time. Well, you know, one of my saxophones, actually, a very rare saxophone that I was ridiculous. I shouldn't have ever brought it on the road, but I've never had anything stolen from me in my life, right, except for this saxophone. It's, it's a Mark VI, Selma Mark VI, worth a ton of money, yeah, but I love playing it. It sounded great. And somebody stole it from um, a dressing room on uh, at a venue in New Jersey, actually. Oh man! See where you're from there. And, oh, yeah. um, so, but here, there's more of the story. So I was devastated because this was this hornet had a long history with me, and I was it. And so weeks later, uh, I'm in New Orleans at the House of Blues uh, performing there, and I've been out on the walking around the city. I come back and the, uh, the doorman. I know, uh, said, yeah, somebody just dropped off a, a, a package for you. It's, a, it's an instrument, like a saxophone or something. <gasps> yeah, where is it? He goes, well, I put it up in the dressing room. So I go up to my dressing room, and, and there's my saxophone in the case, uh, untouched. I mean, even my, my neck strap is still laying in the same position. Oh, yeah. my gosh. So uh, No explanation, no nothing. <gasps> just somebody, somebody took it. And then somebody brought it back. Someone yeah. felt guilty. How did they get it to New Orleans? They got it to New Orleans? Yeah. From, from New Jersey, where it was taken, it traveled somehow to New Orleans and ended up in my dressing room. And thank you, if anybody's listening and knows anything about it, it's, I'm so happy that I got that point. You know, back. someone's conscience caught up with them, maybe. That's a nice story. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, wow, that's yeah. amazing. Um, I, I know got another you... saxophone. I have another oh. saxophone that's over a hundred years old. Oh, you're kidding! And w- when I bring it on tour, 
I have to keep it in the uh, bay of the bus, you know, when we travel. Yeah. People um, on my tour, people, other musicians uh, say that they can hear it playing in the night <laughs> as we travel down the road. That's hysterical. <laughs> like the, ghost, the ghost horn. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the ghost horn. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic story. That's one album I do in the future, I think. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Ghost Horn. Oh, boy. So, where were we? (laughs) We were, okay, so the album, a lot of great players on the album. I know Dave Ellison from Megadeth is on the album, right? And some great guest vocalists, including ex Judas Priest singer Tim Ripper Owens, ex Iron Maiden singer Blaze Bailey, and I just read on Blabbermouth, being the Blabbermouth junkie that I am, that a really exciting headline about a tour you're going to be doing with them? Yeah, yeah. Inspired by the album that we're talking about. Um, they sang on the album. We had such a great time um, working on, this, on the track together, which is called uh, Taking on the World, uh, that we started talking about wouldn't it be fun to continue the comedy, which is what it's like when we're all three together, wouldn't it be fun to take that on the road and, and maybe do a show? And we got all excited about the possibilities and, and started looking into it and realized that it's nearly impossible to get us in the same country at the same time. But we did manage to get um, 10 dates, I think, in the Northeast uh, in end of November. And uh, we're really excited about the show. It's going to be a really fun time. Yeah, I'm playing. We're all like the ex singers getting together. You know, I'm ex Queensrÿche, and, and and Tim's ex Judas Priest, and Blaze's ex Iron Maiden. So we're going to be doing sets of our the band's music that uh, we helped make famous, and uh, we're singing individually. We have one band we share, and then we're you know we're uh, singing on each other's songs. We're doing some harmony stuff. or uh, trading off. Uh, vocal parts on some songs. It's, uh, so you, it's really, really so night. you will you will be on stage together, maybe here and there, right? Oh yeah, yeah, we, we definitely are. Fantastic and three powerhouses. So it's, that's extremely exciting. I already marked my calendar for the BB King show in New York City on the twenty seventh, I believe. What is that? Mm-hmm. The day before Thanksgiving? So you're gonna just. Is that the twenty the twenty seventh is the day before Thanksgiving? I don't know. Thanksgiving yeah, Eve is always a, a fun night in New York City, so that will be excellent. That'll be so fun. Yeah, we just shot a video for the song that they perform on the album. I'll take it on the world here in Seattle last week, and it was really fun hanging out with those guys. I I haven't barely laughed like that in years. Oh my! God. See, that's that's what I like to hear, and that kind of <clears throat> connection between the artists plays off so well on stage too that's something like the audience enjoys it so much more when you see that there is like a true connection between whether it's the band or whomever you know it's it's always such a it makes the experience so much fun more fun for the audience too so i'm thrilled to hear that you guys yeah i'm thrilled to hear you that's that's the thing about you know um live performances there there's nothing that's been invented that can capture a live performance you know dvds and all that video stuff (laughs) It, it's nothing. It's like it's like uh, watching a movie with subtitles only. You know? Exactly. You have to you have to be there. You have to experience the energy transference between people between the audience and the performer and the audience members themselves with each other. And it, that's what live music is about. It's a sharing situation. It's not a 
observational experience where you're just watching, you know, this thing go on, you know, in front of you. Like you, you see on, like, YouTube's a horrible example of, of live music. If anybody judges live music by YouTube videos, they're really doing themselves a disservice. No, absolutely. You really, no. you really have to be there and experience the moment. You're 100% right. And it's also, you can you can tell when someone's walking through the motions, right? When a band is up there and you know they don't want to be there, that that's so easy for the audience to see. You know what I mean? Or if they're not having a good time or they're not, the band is not, you know, um, communicating with each other and there's not a good vibe on the stage that all plays off into the audience as well so couldn't agree oh, yeah. with you more on that yeah and even if there is a conflict that's cool to watch too and experience you know like what's going to happen yeah <laughs> they're going to fly off the handle because they're going to be guitars flying through the air. <laughs> <laughs> i've yet to see, i've been to a lot of shows and i've yet to see that happen but that would be uh, that would be a new one for me. <laughs> well, listen, I know our time is up. I really, really appreciate you uh, um, talking to us here today on Talking Metal. And again, to our listeners, be sure to check out um, Jeff's upcoming release, Resurrection, which again will be c- uh, coming out on September 23rd. But it can be pre-ordered now, right, Jeff? Uh, as far as I know. Okay. Yeah. I'm hearing through the grapevine that it can be pre-ordered coming out September 23rd. Good luck with the album, with the upcoming dates, with the Trinity Tour. We will see you on the road. Definitely be at that B.B. King show front and center. So thanks a lot, and and good luck with everything, Jeff. Thank you, Emily. It's a pleasure talking with you, and thank you so much for the interview. I really appreciate it. Have a Uh, great day. You too. Thanks so much.
What you just heard was I Dream in Infrared by Queensryche, going way back to the Rage for Order record, a record that truly changed my life. I'd never heard sounds like that. I, I just thought that it was an amazing record. And I had had the EP and I'd had the, uh, the warning bef- before that, you know, but, but Rage for Order definitely kind of went someplace different and, and touched me in a way. I mean, the EP touched me deeply, but, and I liked, I liked the warning liked it a lot but rage for order was just the album that sold me on jeff tate and his band Queensryche. so so glad to know that jeff's out there still making great music for us emily thank you so much for doing the interview uh who do you want to interview next ozzy Ozzy would be great. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I would. I'll interview anyone. I mean, you know me. I love music. I love metal, and I'm I'm ready for my next interview. I would like to interview Chris DeGarmo. He was on the podcast many many years ago. Chris DeGarmo, for the for you guys who don't know, was was really one of the big creative forces behind Queensrÿche, along with Jeff Tate and Michael Wilton. And, you know, while well, the whole band obviously were a big part of the Queensryche sound. But but Chris DeGarmo left the band many, many years ago and hasn't really been heard from much at all. Uh, again, he did come on Talking Metal a number of years back, way back, probably at this point, seven, eight years ago. But, um, you know, no one has really known what he's been up to, what he's doing, but he did resurface. And when I say resurface, he, he, he resurfaced musically. He recently recorded an EP with his daughter. And this isn't metal. This is, I'd call it acoustic rock or folk rock. Uh, it's really good, though. And if you listen closely, I think you can hear his style, his guitar style, even on the uh, acoustic song. He wrote this song with his daughter. Yeah, on the record, it says, you know, we, we wrote the music in our living room and recorded it in our basement. And it's good. It's good. His daughter's got a great voice. And again, this is not the type of song we usually play on Talking Metal, but because we're talking Queensryche and because it's Chris DeGarmo's new release, fairly new, a little, you know, number of months old at this point, we're going we're gonna to play it for you. Okay, and if you're interested, just search Chris DeGarmo, the Rue online. You'll end up on the site, and you can buy it with PayPal. This is Love Song. And uh, Emily, big thanks to you for co-hosting and doing that interview with Jeff Tate. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now get your saxophone out. We're going (laughs) to... All right. You can support Talking Metal with... uh, buying a t-shirt on the website in the merch section you can like our facebook page i'm still trying to get emily to like our facebook page and you can do a paypal donation you can use our amazon links i just got a hundred dollar check from amazon thank you guys that's awesome love it you what else can you do you can uh, leave a review on itunes all those things help what we do here follow me on twitter at talking metal follow emily at emily striegel we'll have those linked through today's show notes okay thanks emily thanks mark okay this is love song by the rue chris DeGarmo and his daughter check it out whoa now another 
fight You think you're right And all along So did I Time recycled lines torn open wide. So I wrote about it, joked about it, and I know. Crying, and when the night is near, gone. I hope the 